What really is a difficult patient? How do you deal with the challenging patients? Learn the answers to these questions and many more on this episode of the Talk To Me Doc podcast. Welcome to the Talk To Me Doc podcast, where it's all about serving the early career physician. Let's talk about the unique issues that face us so we can create a better future for ourselves and those to come. And now your host, Dr. Andrew Tisser. Hey everybody, it's Andrew and welcome to the Talk To Me Doc podcast. I'm so happy you're here. For my returning listeners, thank you so much. For my new listeners, welcome. Because today, like on every episode, I'm bringing you the best guests from all around healthcare and beyond to discuss issues relating to the early career physician. Today, we have a special treat, Dr. Joan Nadorf. Dr. Nadorf is a board-certified emergency physician trained at the Philadelphia College of Osteopathic Medicine and Einstein Medical Center, Philadelphia. She practiced for nearly 30 years in the busy emergency departments of Innova Alexandria Hospital, and Fort Belvoir Community Hospital in Virginia. As an author and speaker, she has been sharing important ideas with students, residents, and practicing physicians through various online and direct engagements. She was recently appointed to the editorial advisory board of the DO magazine. Her proudest accomplishment has been raising three compassionate and intelligent children along with her devoted husband, Toby. Toby supplies many stories of the patients who challenge him from his busy gastroenterology practice. In her spare time, Dr. Nadarf enjoys reading, traveling, playing tennis, and walking with Dolly, the miniature poodle. Well, I know I'm excited, so let's get Dr. Nadorf onto the show. Dr. Joan Nadorf, welcome to the Talk To Me Doc podcast. Hi, Andrew. I'm really happy to be here. I'm really happy to have you. So um, for the listeners, I already recorded a little bit about you, but in your own words, could you kind of tell us who you are and what you do? Yeah, I am an emergency physician from Alexandria, Virginia. I am not practicing clinically anymore. I had a non-clinical job for many years. Um, I practiced emergency medicine at local community hospitals in my community. And uh, now I lecture to residents, uh, physicians at CME programs, and I've become an author. I have been writing for various outlets like Doximity, the DO Magazine, and uh, Kevin MD. And I wrote a book over the last year uh, called Changing How We Think About Difficult Patients. And it was recently published by the uh, American Association for Physician Leadership. That's awesome. Congratulations. Um, That's certainly an organization I would recommend getting involved with if if you have leadership aspirations to my listeners. Um, But uh, let's get into that a little bit. So how did you get interested in, in talking and writing about the, quote, difficult patient? That's a great question. What happened is when I was early in my career, I came out of emergency medicine residency. It was something I always wanted to do. It was my dream residency, dream career. And I started in the community hospital. And there was one aspect that was just kind of driving me crazy, making me so frustrated and some days miserable. And that was really difficult patients. And I I just found that there were some patients who were so uh, oppositional, noncompliant, they actually seemed to be harming themselves, drinking too much alcohol, taking too many drugs, smoking. And uh, no matter what the staff would do for them, or no matter what I would do, we couldn't help them. And so I decided to research the problem 
And uh, at the time, I was an associate clinical faculty for one of the local medical schools. I presented a topic uh, as grand rounds, and I uh, presented a lecture on how to deal with difficult patients. And I put that aside for a long time while I had uh, three children in two years and raised them. And now I'm on my second dog. And I decided to go back and pick up the project, update it, and uh, the product is now the book that's just come out. That's awesome. And three kids, <laughs> that's, a, that's a lot. I know my one is pretty hard to deal with, <laughs> but um, good for you. That, so, you know, I'm an emergency physician as well, and, and certainly we, we all know the feeling when uh, a certain name pops up on the board and everybody just groans collectively, right? Um, and so how do you, how do you define the difficult patient and, uh, where do you think, where do you think this comes from? Well, I, I think that's a good question. And I think that this is something that we all have to define for ourselves, but basically I think that all of us have an idea of how we want our patients to behave and how we, we would like them to uh, treat us with respect. We'd like them to follow our directions. We'd like them to re- to respect the medical opinions we give them, and then com- then comply, take the medicines, show up for appointments, uh, do the follow up, uh, j- just as we prescribe for them. The people who don't uh, show up in this way, who I say, like I use the term, don't follow the rule book that we think that they've read, um, but most of them have not. Uh, we label these people as difficult patients. And uh, we all have this, our own definition. Uh, our nurses do, uh, our colleagues do, and we do. I think it's uh, kind of been always in the history of uh, medicine that physicians uh, have all sorts of wisdom and power. And our patients should, uh, we have, it's been very patriar- patriar- patriarchal, probably not saying that correctly, but there's a patriarchy. And uh, we think that patients should be obedient and and follow our uh, direction. But this isn't how the doctor-patient relationship has evolved. It's evolved to a more collaborative practice, and our patients have autonomy to do what they want. We don't always like what the choices that they make, and the ones who make the bad choices, we call them difficult. So, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but are you saying some of this is just our own internal biases and our own perception of how our patients should behave? Absolutely. It's uh, a lot of this uh, is wrapped up in our own internal biases, um, a kind of collective group think that uh, we uh, believe our, our patients should be behaving in a certain way, parents should be giving children, you know, a dose of medicine to reduce their fever before they come to the emergency department with a high fever. Uh, just one example right there. And um, since we have come to this conclusion that it's something kind of arbitrary and uh, something that we can think about intentionally, we can actually change our thoughts about these to accept people better. Okay. So, you know, certainly some of that is easier in um, when we talk about it as opposed to in, in practicality when it's four in the morning and it's their 10th visit in a week and they still won't do what you want them to do. So, um, 
There, I, I see it right there. They don't do what you want them to do, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, but uh, so let's get into some some of the practical strategies a little bit. So how um, I'm sure there's there's a bit of a mindset shift in ourselves, but how do we start to begin to tackle this issue and and handle these patients a little bit better on, on I guess, on their terms? Yeah, it's very important that we try to have some empathy and and get curious about why the patients are there that that I think that's the first uh, issue uh, certainly a, a patient who's coming back all the time um, perhaps you know they, they just can't get the answers they can't get the medicines they can't get in to see primary care providers in the community there may be some logical or reasonable explanation in their mind now the nurses and docs in the emergency department, may not always see it that way. But if we can get curious and ask the questions, then we can start to change our thinking about why they came and maybe have more compassion. I think another good example is uh, some of the young parents who bring in children who are ill and we wonder, well, why did they feel they have to bring them to the emergency department in the middle of the night? Well, they're scared and they don't understand about what this illness means and that it's safe to give medicines at home before they come. And, and they think that they're doing their best to protect their children. And if we can kind of uh, be curious and think about what's in their minds and their fears, uh, we can have a lot more f- compassion for how they're acting. That makes sense. I think, I think the term group think is, is interesting one as well, because certainly you get wrapped up in, in it, right? I mean, it, when, when the docs and the nurses and the techs and everybody, and, and we're just using the emergency department as an example, but certainly in the clinic and the ORs and everything as well, um, you get wrapped up into this like, oh, this guy, right? Kind of thing, right? Um, and, and it's so easy to fall prey to that. And then if, if and you know, it goes back to, to our, you know, ancestral thinking that being part of a pack is good, right? So you don't want to be the one person to be like, you know, hold, hold the phone. Like maybe this person's got some, some stuff going on. We got to talk about. Um, so that, that can be certainly very challenging. You don't want to be like ostracized by your peers either. Absolutely. I think the kind of group think and, and the way that everybody in the break room is talking about, you know, Mrs. Smith who comes in uh, every week with a certain problem. And, and once you have a patient kind of pigeonholed into that sort of role you think of them only as that one diagnosis that they have. This is such a dangerous red trap to fall into because what we know about the, the way that humans think, and we are just humans here, is, is with confirmation bias. If you believe that Mrs. Smith's problems are all due to her diagnosis, say, of her rheumatoid arthritis, uh, and she comes in complaining of back pain, and that's all you're looking for, then you're not going to find some new problem that she has. Perhaps she has an aortic aneurysm dissection. Perhaps she has a new compression fracture. But if you're looking for a certain diagnosis, then you're only ordering tests, asking questions to lead to that diagnosis or that point of view, and you will never find what's actually happening. And this is why this is so important, because this sort of thinking leads us to confirm the wrong diagnosis. Yeah, I've, I had that same experience the other, honestly, just 
a few days ago, I don't know when this one's coming out, but um, with uh, with a medical student who had um, uh, seen a patient who pigeonholed the diagnosis and it was totally different. I mean, not, you know, completely had nothing to do with with the patient's other million presenting problems. So it starts early. You know, we, we see that in uh, in our learners at all levels. Um, so, yeah, that's really, really a good point. I, I think. Um, you know, there's levels, right, of, of what we think of as a difficult patient. You know, we, there's there's the one end of the spectrum where the patients are like outwardly combative and violent right? and, and and that kind of patient. And then there's just the patient who who like maybe didn't finish their antibiotic course. Right. And is there a way is do you teach that th- these patients should be seen differently or is it all kind of just two ends of the same spectrum and, and, and it's a similar strategy? Well, they are two ends of the same spectrum. Of course, a patient who's aggressive or violent, you need to kind of co-opt a lot more help and protect yourself and not get close enough that they can hit or strike you. Um, and I do have a small area in the book where I talk about de-escalation. But most of what I'm talking about are uh, behaviors that we know will come up. We kind of delude ourselves into thinking that everyone's going to follow our uh, our advice. Uh, we, we should understand that when a patient comes in, they've waited in the lobby for four hours and they have a very typical viral syndrome. Uh, and you explain this to them that their test was negative for strep, for example, a strep throat, and they still want their antibiotics. And instead of being angry that this is happening, you really should have expected it. You can expect that pushback say, oh, this is the part where they're not happy that I tell them that they have this viral illness and they're really angry with me. They might be threatening to report me. They're going to call my supervisor. They're going to give me a bad review. These are all things that we have to deal with every day. And the better we prepare for it, uh, the better we can, A, put a little pause button and not uh, react with anger and try to uh, be more curious and understand why they want that and perhaps explain why it might not be good for them. Sure. Yeah, that makes sense. I think, you know, I, me personally, I know if I'm going to have one of those conversations or, or where I know they're not going to like what I have to say, I try to just, you know, sit, sit at my desk for a second, take a couple deep breaths and, and, and go in and, and try to deal with it. But, um, I still, you know, I certainly still see all the same negative emotions when they start giving you that pushback too. And other than, you know, yes, we're prepared for it. I know this is going to happen. Are there any other ways to try and, and at least re I know empathy and I know trying to figure out where they're coming from, but at least in the moment, are there strategies you have to try and at least calm the internal fire for lack of a better term? Well, I, I think the most important thing is for you to bolster your own confidence and for you to have self-confidence. Now, you have to be confident that you've done a thorough workup to the best of your ability and in your either your office, your emergency department, whatever setting you're practice in, and you've thought about all the possibilities and you have a high level of confidence that they have this diagnosis that you're considering. So when you, and you have to expect that there will be this pushback, they won't like what you're saying. They won't like the plan that you're giving. And you have to, uh, you're prepared for that. And, and I think you do have to prepare for that conversation because most of the time, you know, it's coming. 
Um, although sometimes you're shocked at like, you know, how vigorous it is. And uh, if you're confident that you've done the right thing, you have to be okay with the fact that sometimes people are going to be unhappy with you. Uh, some sort of a patient who is asking for a lot of opioids for their back pain, and you either don't want to give it to them at all or want to give them a very, you know, one or two doses to get them through to the next morning, they're going to be unhappy with you. They're, they may threaten you either uh, physically or with some sort of bad review. And you just have to have confidence that you are doing the right thing for them. Yeah, that's fair. That's a good point. Um, I know certainly uh, in, in reading your book and, and, and I would definitely recommend it to, um, to all my listeners, there'll be links in the show notes. Uh, you talk a bit about the uh, think, feel, act cycle. Um, would you mind kind of giving us a little synopsis on what that is? Yeah, this is uh, basically an awareness tool. And it's a way for us to think about uh, how we think, uh, feel, and act about patients. Because what we find ourselves in a lot of these clinical situations, we say, gosh, I'm so frustrated. I'm so angry. Uh, I feel so defeated. And what we need to uh, remember is that before each one of those emotions or feelings, there was a thought. And that's the point in, in the cycle that uh, one can make a slight interruption. We can actually choose to have a better thought. So if I feel uh, really defeated that uh, the person who I got sober last week came back drunk again, I have to think more kind thoughts like, I just need to make sure that he's not injured this time. I need to make sure uh, that he's hydrated. I need to make sure um, that he has something to eat or drink before he leaves again. And then I can act with more compassion and get better results. If my thoughts are, oh, no, this, you know, this lousy drunk is back here again. I can't believe he comes in here every week. I'm not going to feel good about it. I'm not going to act as with as much compassion and as efficiently as I should and I might have and I expect to. And I'm not going to get uh, the best result. Uh, I'm not going to get the most efficient and um, uh, best result for the patient. Yeah, no, that's, that's great. That's really interesting. Um, do you think that there are any patients that you know, well, no, let me rephrase this. Um, so there are, will certainly be patients that no matter what, no matter how much empathy you provide, no matter how much you try to get into their situation as to why they're maybe not following directions or, or, or don't like what you're saying, um, will just absolutely refuse anything you say. You know, I, I remember one time I had a patient, um, that was just like, no, you know, that that's absolutely wrong. Like, no, I don't believe you, um, blah, 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 whatever it was. Um, and no matter how, you know, and I remember sitting with this patient for like 40 minutes. And for the listeners that don't work in the ER, that's a really long time. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and just no matter what, you know, they just, they, they thought I was wrong. They needed more tests, et cetera. Um, and I just could not get to the root issue there. Um, do you have any strategies for that? Cause that could just feel so um, defeating and, and, you know, you've done everything you could to try and get to the root cause, but you just can't. Um, do you have any suggestions for that? Because that can, that could take the whole, you know, the wind out of your sails for sure. 
I think it's a very difficult situation. I, I it, it happens in the emergency department. Uh, I hear a lot from my husband, who's a gastroenterologist. He has patients come in with chronic problems, which he classifies as functional uh, and not related to any specific uh, diagnosis or anything that's uh, pathologically that we can find that's wrong. And he has to tell people and we have to tell people, this is all I can do for you right now. Again, it has to go back to your being confident. You have to give them a plan. It's just like, I understand you may not agree with me, but this is what my uh, decisions are, are based upon, various science or practices. Um, give them the options for coming back if they're not better in 48 hours uh, or to follow up with their primary care provider. Uh, and again, just going back to that uh, r- reminder that some patients aren't going to like or accept what we say to them. Um, and, and it may feel that that's all you're seeing in some days, <clears throat> excuse me, but what you have to remember are all, uh, the very polite, respectful, compliant patients that you see in every, in, in a shift and, uh, the cute little baby smiles that you get after you get a small child feeling better. Um, there are still good things happening in every shift and it also helps to remember this, uh, all the good people you're working with. Um, so when you're kind of totally defeated in the face of that patient that kind of drains you, those are the things that you have to remember where you have to guide your thoughts so that you don't feel so terrible at the end of a shift. Well said. Yeah. Certainly keep that in mind going forward. So, uh, Joan, I'd like to transition the show a little bit just to get to know the guest a little bit better. Um, so, uh, what do you like to do for fun? Well, I have a new puppy. Uh, her name is Dolly. She's a miniature poodle. So I spend a lot of time with her. Uh, been doing some training and walking. I like to play tennis and I play in a league, uh, and some, you know, recreationally over the winter. I play indoors. I live in Alexandria, Virginia. And when conditions are favorable, I really like to travel. Um, that's been put on hold for two years, but I'm hoping I can start traveling again. I also am an avid reader and writer. That sounds great. And best of luck with the puppy there. <laughs> it could be a lot of work. Um, do you, besides your own book, uh, do you have any other book recommendations for the listeners? And they could be any genre at all. I'm so glad you asked. I actually have taken on this role of reviewing books for the DO magazine. So I've been reading a lot of great books recently. And I think one of the best that I've read uh, that is a patient memoir, but is a doctor as patient memoir, which of course we've seen before, but I think this author raises it to another level is our Rana Odwish. Uh, the, the book is titled In Shock. Um, if I could make a recommendation to every single medical school and program director out there, I would include this in the curriculum. Because as young physicians, as young as students, residents, our experiences are limited. And we most of us haven't been sick. We're not even parents yet. Uh, we, we may not even have had any death or loss in our family. We don't know what our patients are thinking or feeling. And this book shows in very stark terms, and she's a wonderful writer, 
about what it's like to be a patient in the intensive care unit. And I'm happy to report that she uh, is well and did well after over the course of the book. But you see how sick she was, and she was treated in her own intensive care unit. Um, I believe that she practiced in Detroit. And uh, I cannot say enough about this book uh, in terms of opening your eyes about some of the very casual ways that we talk and negative ways that we talk in front of patients. Uh, she even has a page or a couple pages devoted to being inadvertently labeled as a difficult patient, uh, which I found fascinating. Of course, I read after I wrote my book, but uh, I give that book my highest recommendation. Wow, that sounds pretty powerful. I have to check that out. That's uh, That sounds really good. I'm going to put that in the show notes for listeners as well. Um, so Joan, you've given us a lot of advice, um, in, in this episode thus far. And, uh, if you could just boil all your advice down to just one single piece of advice for the early career physician, what do you think that would be? Well, I think the most important thing is to be aware that some of us have fallen into a very negative way of thinking about our patients Part of it was what we heard. Part of it is how we were trained and just kind of a general negative bias that humans have. So in order to feel better about these sort of patients that I'm going to use the term difficult, we have to take a step back from that, become aware. Don't beat yourself up for it because, you know, it's only, it's a human reaction. But you can actually choose to have better thoughts about these people you can find other more positive things that are true about even someone who's difficult or is really grumpy in the emergency department or the office. And you can give them the benefit of the doubt. And you can actually um, kind of practice this. doesn't happen overnight. You can come to the point where you can accept people exactly the way they are and not feel quite as uh, bad about treating even these people who are, are really challenging. Perfect. That's great. Well, that may not have been as succinct as you wanted, but <laughs> no, that is that's perfect. All I got. <laughs> it doesn't have to be succinct. Uh, so, if uh, people are interested in you and your work, uh, where can they find you? Well, I have a website that talks about uh, what I'm doing. Uh, it includes my blog, and it's drjoannadorf.com. Dr. Um, it'll be in the show notes. And I have been uh, also blogging on Medium. And the book is available at the website for the uh, American Association for Physician Leadership. And it's also available on uh, Amazon.com. So these are the main places where I like to um, chime in. I react to things that I've seen in the news uh, and uh, in, in my surroundings. If times were better, I'd be doing a little bit of travel blogging as well. So hopefully in the next uh, three to six months, uh, we'll be seeing some of that too. Wonderful. Great. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show and telling us all about how we can manage the quote difficult patient. Um, I'd recommend everyone check out the book. It's a great read. Um, and uh, visit uh, Dr. Jones website here and uh, see what else she's up to. Thanks for having me, Andrew. All right. Bye-bye. 
what an awesome show with Dr. Joan Nadorf. I really learned a lot from my own practice on how to be more empathetic and more thoughtful as to why difficult or, quote, challenging patients are being the way they are. I would definitely recommend checking out her book. The link will be in the show notes. If you enjoyed the show, please leave me an honest rating and review on Apple Podcasts and tell at least three of your friends and colleagues. It really helps get the show out there. The other thing I'd like you to do after listening is visit my website at andrewtisserdo.com where you can find tons of resources, a link to a free video series, as well as my newest guide to marketable skills for physicians. You could also find that directly at andrewtisserdo.com slash skills. Well, that's all we have for today, everybody. So keep talking. All opinions expressed by the guest in this episode are solely the guest opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Andrew Tisser DO, Talk to Me Doc LLC, or any affiliates thereof. The guest opinions are based upon information he or she considers reliable, but Andrew Tisser DO, Talk to Me Doc LLC, nor any affiliates thereof warrant its completeness or accuracy. The guest, Andrew Tisser DO, Talk to Me Doc LLC, or any affiliates thereof are not under any obligation to update or correct any information provided in this episode. The guest statements and opinions are subject to change without notice.